Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, we're so glad you're here today. Really, I mean it from one side of this auditorium all the way to the other and those watching online. Thank you so much for being here. You know that's one of our initiatives this year to really make the effort to be here. And we know that for many of you, there really is a significant effort made just to be here. I think of single parents. I think of the elderly. I think of those who live alone. Um, Just the, the effort to make it to church. I want you to know it doesn't go unnoticed. We're so thankful to have each and every one of you uh, here with us today. I wanted to show you a picture that I just think is going to melt your heart. It melted my heart. I had to pause in the moment, take out my camera, and and show uh, this picture to every one of you. Parents, you're going to really appreciate this. Yeah, this is my little barley girl, three years old. We're at the table, and we're teaching our children to pray. We take turns praying. And when she did this to pray, I just was like, oh my gosh, I got to capture the moment. But before you get too proud of her, we had just finished butting heads a few hours prior to this because she was hungry. She came to me hungry, and so I went to the kitchen, made her a quick fruit and yogurt parfait with some granola, beautiful, it was fantastic. I told her to come and get something to eat. And when she came to eat, she refused this snack. She refused it. And I, I tried the airplane thing. I, I, did, I did everything I knew to do. She refused it, tight lips, didn't want it. And I said, well, what do you want? And she said, I want a cheese stick. Parents, quickly, do you give in and give them what they want or do you hold to your guns? What do you think I did? I held to my guns, thank you very much. I said, if you're hungry, then you're going to eat this thing. That's what I said to her, right? I know whose fault it was. It was Peppa Pig's fault. She was watching YouTube Kids, and somewhere along the way, there was a cheese stick, and so all of a sudden, that's what she wanted. And I'm like, Peppa does not have that kind of influence on you, little girl. You're going to eat what I, what I gave you. So y'all know this. I grew up in Taos, and so as a young boy, I just remember hearing all the time. I really do. I remember hearing people say, when I grow up, I'm going to move to Albuquerque. When I move up, when I grow up, I am moving to Albuquerque. When people, when I was in high school, I heard people say, man, I can't wait to get out of here and get to Albuquerque. Like there was something about Albuquerque that everybody in northern New Mexico wanted to go. Like, and so next thing you knew, I was also saying to myself, like, I want to get to Albuquerque. Like I can't wait to grow up and move to Albuquerque. I'm going to the University of New Mexico. I'm going to live in Albuquerque, and I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. I just want to get to Albuquerque because everybody wants to be in Albuquerque. When I was 26 years old, y'all know this, I bought a Hummer a few days before I got married. I just wanted to avoid the conversation. Don't have to ask for permission. We ain't married yet, right? (laughs) Two years later, I'm trading in my dream vehicle for a Toyota Camry. I'm like, what am I thinking, right? The dream ended quickly, and then I drove off with a Toyota Camry. Now I'm 40 years old, and I live in Minnesota. And just the other day, I'm like, Babe, you know what? I think I want to buy a house on a lake. Like, Chad, I want a house on a lake, right? That's what I want. And once I have the house on the lake, it's time to start looking for a cabin up north. Yeah, like the culture of Minnesota has grabbed our hearts now. And so now we find ourselves going after that. And then, and then I thought of this. There's a, there's a video I saw on YouTube and I thought of like my life and, and really your life. Take a look. This kind of exemplifies like what life 
it looks like for all of us. Go ahead. You see that? That laser is everything we want in life. And that cat, my friend, is you and me. Now, listen, Tom Brady, Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Go Bengals, right? Um, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls, the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. When asked, what's it like winning the Super Bowl? This is what he said. There's got to be more than this. I mean, this is like the pinnacle of championships. John Rockefeller, y'all know John Rockefeller, the wealthiest American in our history, $419 billion. That's what he's worth. This is what he said when, when asked, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more than $419 billion. Here's the question that I think we're all asking today is, will there ever be enough Will there ever be enough in your life to satisfy? Will there ever be enough in my life to satisfy? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read our primary text this morning. I just want you to know we are going to, we're going to pick up our pace because we're going to pause towards the end and really lean into something. So we're just going to kind of go quickly and then we'll slow down altogether. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse 17, this is what it says. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing wind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. It's in this room. We can feel it in this room. Thank you for that. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts in a way that we would know that it is you. There is miracles that are going to take place and it's going to happen in the insides of our hearts, God. So I, I do pray that you would meet us at our point of need. Thank you that we will meet you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I get into what I'm going to say, I just want you to know this message is dedicated to every person who is sitting in this room and you attempted to the very best of your ability to slide in and to slide right out like you hope to have no conversations with people, to not have the question asked how are you doing today? You're broken. You're falling apart. You want to be here. You love the way it feels to be here. You know this is the right place to be. But you are wrestling with God. You are wrestling with life. You, you are at a place of utter frustration. If that's you, I want you to know that this message is dedicated to you. And I want you to know that God absolutely sees you. Ecclesiastes, this is our second installment to this message series. If you weren't here last week, it would be good for you to go back and watch Neil's first message on this. It'll give you like an overview of this entire teaching um, series. So very helpful for you to go back and look at this. But in short, Ecclesiastes is this book written by Solomon, arguably. Some people believe that, some people don't. It doesn't matter. It's in the Bible. It's inspired by God for us today, right? It wasn't written to us. It's absolutely for us. And we will learn and see that God has something for us in the text. But Solomon is in the later part of his life. It's evident that he is in a very distraught place in life. This is a cynical, this is very sarcastic. You can see uh, into his heart, he is bitter. He is looking back at his life and he is filled with regret. 
He is regretful for the way he lived his life, the way he spent his money, the conversations that he had, the things that he got involved in. You can see directly into his heart. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to read. But here's one thing that I've noticed as I've looked through today's reading, that that innate nature to pursue or to chase the lasers or the wind, right? Or, or, or as Neil showed last week, the smoke, like that innate desire to, to, to pursue those things. You know what, it, what, what I found to be true is that it's in all of us. This is supposed to say all of us. It's in all of us, every single one of you and, and me, myself. I want you to know this is in all of us. And we're going to learn today that the book of Ecclesiastes shines a bright, bright light on this truth. Apart from Jesus, you will never have enough. That's the truth that this book is going to shine a very, very bright light on. So as we look through our passage today, Ecclesiastes 1.17, but I learned firsthand Like this is his own perspective, his own doing, right? He's going to tell us his own story from his own eyes. He's going to tell us that pursuing all of this, and we're going to look at all of this. We're going to look at what he actually pursued. It's in the Bible. It's in the letter, all that he pursued. But he likens it to chasing the wind, chasing the wind. All right, so we're going to go. Let's get into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One more. One more. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. We're just going to kind of run through these. We're going to pull out of these different themes that we can identify with. I think you're going to relate to this more than you might be uh, happy to admit to. I know that as I wrestled through this portion of scripture, I was wrestling with this and, I, and I've never had the impact on from this book like I've had today. I think that you have to have some mistakes made in your life. You've ha- you have to have some regret in your life to actually appreciate what Solomon is saying. So for those of you who sit here today and you say, I do have some regret in my life. I do look past. I look into the past of my life and I do have some things that still pain me, ail me. You're going to appreciate what Solomon has to say. First verse says, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Before you jump to the wine portion, you'll miss it if that's what you concentrate on. What we concentrate on is the cheer myself, the self-medicating, like the things that we do to just take the edge off. Right? For him, it was a glass of wine. But for others, it could be a cheeseburger. For some, it could be a latte. Like we all have something that we go after to somehow try to soothe us. Listen, are those things bad? No, they are not bad. But you will not get out of it what you hope to get out of. You can gorge yourself at night and wake up in the morning and still be hungry. Solomon is saying, I tried to cheer myself. Here's where we see the intro to this under the sun perspective. I tried to cheer myself with wine. I tried to seek relief with wine, but I couldn't find it. Verse 4 goes on to say, I also tried to find meaning. And I would say that this was culture-defined meaning, culture-centered meaning. It wasn't Christ-centered meaning, meaning it was was culture-centered meaning. So how did he go about finding his meaning? Well, by building huge homes. 
He had several homes. One of his homes, imagine seeing this on Redfin. Three-story house, 15 bedrooms on each level, 15 bedrooms. 45-bedroom house, 15 bathrooms, one of his houses. Not to mention the palaces and the kingdoms that he built and the top of the line finishes, like not granite, not quartz. We're talking gold. We're talking pure gold. Like that was the fork, the spoon, the knife, gold, the best, the top of the line finishes. And here we see his wrestling with his identity in comparison because it's a culture defined meaning. So now he sees what other people has and, and, and to have good meaning in your life, you've got to have a little bit more. He's wrestling with his own identity in this. So he goes and not just builds a home. He builds huge homes for myself and planted beautiful vineyards, not just an ordinary vineyard, a beautiful vineyard. Can you see the the, the never enough tones in our verse? I made gardens and parks, not just a garden, not just a park. No, gardens, parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. My grandma had an apple tree, and we'd go to her house, and we'd go grab apples. He wouldn't be happy with just one. He had to have every kind of fruit tree, right? And so we see in here this this idea of indulging, and now you're starting to say, oh, my gosh, I'm a lot more like Solomon than I realized. Here's the beautiful part, and I don't want you to miss this. When Solomon gets to the end of his life is when he starts to have these reflections. Listen, there's a lot of life ahead of all of us here today. There's a lot of life. You still have ample opportunity to make a holy turnaround. Like you can learn these lessons today and apply these lessons to your life today so that you don't look back at your life filled, riddled with pain and regret. I built reservoirs. I was like, reservoirs, why don't you just, you know, the difference between a pond and a reservoir is just a lot more water. He didn't have one. He had several reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate many flourishing groves. Groves, there's no undergrowth, like those big tunnels where the trees kind of come together and they carve out like a little tunnel looking thing. Those are groves. He had several of those groves. Again, never enough. I bought slaves, both men and women. Oh, in culture, culture defines status. When you allow culture to define meaning, status matters. Status matters. Status matters in corporate America. Status matters in the business world. Status matters in the church. We are, most of us are driven with status. Solomon, Solomon is admittedly Admittedly, he is struggling with status. Listen, it's not every day you have the opportunity to read somebody's journal. It's not every day you have an opportunity to see into a man's heart. I mean, we are, we are getting firsthand experience of an older man looking back at his life and admitting to all the mistakes he made. He's admitting to the race that he was running to, to have more status, to have meaning, to have purpose. Here's the truth. If you could build it, if you could acquire it, and it give you meaning, Solomon would have had it. Yet he had none of it. It wasn't a Christ-centered meaning. It was a culture-centered meaning. So he went about building and acquiring. He even had slaves. Sure, would it, would it alleviate the workload? Absolutely it would. But it also make him like the top of the line. Like, like Solomon had to be number one. 
whatever it takes. You ever work with somebody like that? Like, I will step on you to get above you. Maybe that's in your heart today. Maybe you would say, sometimes I find myself a little bit too aggressive. Sometimes I find myself like really concerned about how I feel. Like my status matters. Hello, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Can you see some of these undertones happening in our culture today? It goes on to say, I also own large herds and flocks more than any of the kings. More than, like I had more. Now we see pride. Pride comes before the fall. One example of a herd that Solomon had, 12,000 horses. 12,000 horses, like six or seven stables. You can read this in 1 Kings. 12,000, I was thinking like, well, that might be like, is 40 cows a herd? I was way off. You know, it was like 40 cows born a day, maybe, but 12,000 horses. Yes, he's struggling with his pride. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Like you put all the wealth of all the kings around me. And I got more than every single one of them. He brought in about $300 million worth of gold per year. That's if we're using $400 per ounce. He brought in, it just came into his into his palace, $300 million worth of gold per year. Now he has this, I can take care of myself mentality. Like church is good, God is good, but man, life's going to have been good to me. And I can kind of take care of myself. Like here we see with Solomon, this man who is absolutely indulging in God's blessings and has failed to know the God who gives the blessings. And he is ailed by it. It grips his heart. He gets to the end of a life, a life that he did not get out of it what he hoped to, and says, everything I had was meaningless. I trade all of that in to know God. I wonder if you're willing to learn some lessons this morning. I wonder if you're willing to get to a place in your life where you say, you know what, sometimes I take matters into my own hands. God's asking you to do this. And you fail sometimes and you just say, well, I'll do a little bit at a time. I'll learn this thing. I'll learn this thing. Solomon got to a place where he was completely self-sufficient. He didn't really need God. Sometimes that can be the very thing that separates you from him is that you get to a place where, hey, life is good. I don't really need God. Things are kind of going great for me. It's not over yet. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. Now he's arrogant. Like how many of y'all have a band coming over tonight to play while you're having the Super Bowl so you can mute the commercials and have your band play? None of us are doing that. Solomon had that. He had that. He absolutely had that. And he was proud of it. He was arrogant. Do you sometimes come off arrogant with the things that you have or the things that you indulge in or the things that you purchase or the things that you do? Do you sometimes kind of throw that out in conversation just to, just to kind of toot your own little horn every once in a while? I mean, that's what arrogance really is. I know maybe you don't get the band, but maybe you went a little bit too far. Maybe you, you, maybe you, you overpurchased for the sake of, you know, just feeling good. We get intoxicated with, with stuff like that. The feeling's the same. You can get drunk on alcohol or you can get drunk on, on indulgence. And that's what we see in Solomon. Like, it is never, ever, ever enough. You ever lay at night in bed saying, man, it's not enough. Why do I want more? Why do I continue to pursue more? Continues. Had many beautiful concubines. Now we see this perversion, this lust. 
So Satan does. Satan takes everything that's good and perverts it. Not satisfied? God told him specifically not to marry foreign women, not to get involved in that. They will turn your heart from God. He said that. God said that. Yet Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, does exactly what God asks him not to do. Has God ever spoke to you and nudged you and asked you not to do something and there you go doing it? We're more like Solomon than you realize. God speaks to Solomon, makes it very clear to Solomon, yet he goes beyond his conviction and begins to live out his own indulgences. Now he's in perversion and lust. And I'll tell you something, man, that gets increasingly worse and worse and worse. It doesn't stay the same. It gets the, the addiction, the, those, those things, man, they grip your heart. They change the way you think. They change the way you interact. It's a, it's a, it's a poison to the heart. He says, I had everything a man could desire. You know what I thought is, says who? That's a culture-defined meaning. I had everything a man could desire based on culture, yes. But a Christ-centered meaning, that's not true. All of that is not true if it's Christ-centered meaning. Can I say, don't let culture define what's meaningful to you. Don't let what you see in mainstream media define what's meaningful to you. Don't chase things that you see the media pushing out in their own agenda and defining that as meaningful. Solomon did that and he could never grab a hold of it. He could never grab a hold of it. So I became greater than all. My wisdom never failed me. Your mom ever said to you, you're too smart for your own good. You're way too smart for your own good. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, made the dumbest mistakes. The smartest man made the dumbest mistakes. How does that happen? You ever find yourself driving in your car, going somewhere, and you're like, what's wrong with me? I know better. I know better. Why did I just do that? Why am I thinking this? Why am I entertaining these thoughts? I know better. It's not every day you have the opportunity to look into a man's heart, see what he's really thinking. It's not every day you get to open up a man's journal at a place in his life where he's willing to tell all. It's like those books that come out years and years later, the tell all books. Here's Solomon's tell all journal. Like, I'm going to just put it out there. This is exactly what I did. This is exactly what I hoped for. And this is exactly what I got. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Lots of eyes, lots of me's, lots of my's. Dude had a power struggle. Had a power struggle. Some of us got a power struggle. It's hard to release. I don't like to give away opportunity. I don't like to share. I don't like to empower. I want it all for myself. If I've got four, I keep four. Some of us, listen, I, who's going to admit I've got a power struggle? Who's going to just be like, yeah, that's me. I got a No one's going to do that. We're reading the journal of a man who is bitter and broken, looking, past, at, at, looking at the past of his life and admitting where he fell short. He has given us a straight shot into the core of who he is. 
And he is saying, I had a power struggle. I had a power struggle. I denied myself absolutely no pleasure. But, you know, we make a big deal around here when it's, but, you know, there's something different coming. Like after all of that, he says, but as I looked at everything I had and worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, hevel, smoke, chasing lasers, chasing lasers, chasing the winds. You know, it's time for us to stop chasing and start embracing. Like stop chasing everything and start embracing today. Like to the point where you stop chasing anything from the past, stop letting the past interrupt your life today, stop allowing the past to grip your heart, stop stop all of that, and as well, kind of stop with the hope of the future thing too. And just embrace today. Like, because tomorrow's not promised to anybody in this room. So like when you go to your little kid's game and it's a soccer game and he's three, embrace the moment. Like embrace the moment, right? When you sit around the table today with your family, embrace the moment. Like live there, be there, be there wholeheartedly. Let's not look too far ahead and let's not really look behind. Let's embrace the moments today. That's what really matters. We stop chasing. We stop chasing and we start, and we start embracing. So back to our question, will there ever be enough? Will there ever be enough? What's your conclusion? Will there ever be enough? Apart from God, never. There will never be enough. So really, this is not a conversation about enough. It's really a conversation about contentment. And I want to show you a picture of someone who means a lot to me. It's my mother. This is at a wedding that one of my cousins had a wedding, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And I have this picture of my mother. And she, she, would, she would often, in our home, we lived in a, in a three-bedroom, two-bath, uh, double-wide trailer in Colorado. for they, She lived in that home 23 years. And I can, I can just see my mom on her, hands and, on her hands and knees mopping the floor with a towel. Like, I know she, she could have used a mop, but she chose to use her hands because it was just a better clean. That's just how she went, deep cleaning, man. She would wash the windows. She would constantly clean it, but she would be down scrubbing, 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 scrubbing. And what I, what I realized, what she was teaching herself in that moment, what she was teaching me, but more so what she was teaching herself, we find in the book of, um, of, of Philippians. And this is what it says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. She was learning to be content. She was learning to be content. She probably grew up with a bigger ambition than a three-bed, two-bath, double-wide trailer. I'm sure it had, there was more to the dream than that. She was learning to be content. So as she would mop the floor, I would hear her praying all the time. I would always hear her praying over her home, thanking God for her home. Thank you, God, for a home. Thank you, God, for heat. Thank you, God, for central air. Thank you, God, for windows. Thank you, God, for my kids. Thank you, God, for their health. Thank you, God, for my marriage. She was learning to be content with whatever I have. This is Paul writing this letter, by the way, from prison. Learning to be content. Today, 
Maybe that's a commitment we need to make, learning to be content. With whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living. There's a secret to living. You know what it is? In every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, I can do all things. The secret to living is contentment. You know what Solomon was missing? Contentment. There was never enough. There was never enough. And what we learn in this is that it was actually an issue of the heart. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need above all else. See, that's really the decision that has to be made today. Can I make God the highest priority in my life? Can my Christ-centered meaning, meaning be the most important thing to me? So here's our big so what. Here's our, I want to stain your brain with this today, and that is pursuing stuff is never enough. Pursuing stuff is never enough. You'll never get it. Because if you could build it, if you could buy it, if you could own it, Solomon would have had it. And he didn't have it. There's still time for you. So we have three minutes, and here's how I want us to respond. We're going to do this in segments, one minute each. Would you stand to your feet with me right there where you're at? We're going to pause for a moment, just a moment of silence. Just a moment of silence. I want this to penetrate to the very depths of your heart. I want this to penetrate to the very depths of your heart. God, what does this mean for me today? What is the lesson to be learned for me today? you're like me, this passage, this journal entry resonated more than I'd like to admit. Maybe you feel the same way. This pivot is maybe a place of repentance. Lord, forgive us for self-indulging. Forgive us for being self-sufficient. Forgive us for being arrogant. Forgive us for being prideful. Forgive us for pursuing uh, perversion, lust. Forgive us, God, for, for these things that have taken hold of our hearts. We have lived with a culture-defined meaning. God, forgive us. We want Christ-centered meaning in our life. Forgive us, we repent of that, Father. 